Welcome to the analysis. I'm Greg Bopert. Last week, Raúl Castro stepped down as leader of Cuba's Communist Party. One could say that this signaled the end of an era, although one could also say that it has been a long, drawn-out end. With the death of Fidel Castro in 2016, Raúl Castro stepping down from the presidency in 2018 and turning it over to Miguel Díaz-Canel, and now, three years later, um, Díaz-Canel also takes over the leadership of the Communist Party. Meanwhile, Cuba is facing a severe economic crisis, first caused by the intensification of U.S. sanctions against Cuba during the Trump presidency, and now the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. Joining me to discuss the current situation in Cuba is Reed Lindsay, who joins me from Cuba's capital, Havana. Reed is a documentary filmmaker and the director of the film series The War on Cuba, which was produced by the film organization Belly of the Beast, which is available on social media and YouTube. Here's a brief clip from the documentary The War on Cuba. People come to Havana looking for the real Cuba. But this is not my Cuba. We've got one huge problem, the economy. The United States has been waging war against Cuba for 60 years. Impacta cada aspecto de nuestra vida. Estas son de aluminio y fibra de plástico. Existen unas prótesis más resistentes, con más calidad, pero el gobierno americano no deja que la compren. The Trump administration has killed a deal that would allow Cuban baseball players to play for Major League Baseball. En caso de que tú quisieras jugar con la MLB, tendría que renunciar a mi país, no me gustaría la verdad. Trump administration is imposing new restrictions on US travel to Cuba. Tourism stopped. You are suffocating the Cuban people. Thanks for joining me, Reed. Thanks, Greg, for having me. So uh, let's start with the party congress and Raúl Castro stepping down. Raúl himself emphasized the slogan of continuity, but how is uh, Raúl's departure being perceived by ordinary Cubans? Is it more associated um, with uh, more of the same, or are there expectations that some things will change, and if so, what? Well, I would say that I, I think when it comes to Raúl and and, 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 I, and you could probably say the same about Fidel. Um, uh, there was a much a greater focus of, uh, on it in the United States than in Cuba as far as the possibility of change. I know that, that this Congress got a lot of coverage in the U.S. and internationally, and people asking this question about uh, what's this, what does this mean for Cuba? Will there be a big change? I can't say that I noticed a lot of people, in the, uh, ordinary Cubans, talking about this much. Um, I, I think that continuity is 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 uh, is assumed, uh, and and I also think that uh, right now, Cubans are the the economic situation is so dire at the moment that most Cubans are are very focused on on the day to day, um, trying to get through the economic crisis, um, this COVID crisis, which is which is related to the economic crisis. Um, and the and and the recent uh, the, the, the Communist Party Congress is sort of something that everybody knew was going to happen anyway, and 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 not something that that people uh, were really focused on, 
as, as something that was going to, to produce any, any kind of uh, political change. As you mentioned, the, the two main challenges that Cuba is facing, and also as I mentioned in the introduction, are the uh, economic crisis and the sanctions um, and the pandemic. So let's start with the sanctions and the economic crisis, um, which is also the main topic of your film series, The War in Cuba. Uh, give us a brief overview as to how the U.S.-Cuba relationship has evolved since uh, Obama's opening towards Cuba in 2014, 2015. Yeah, so uh, uh, Obama ushered in historic change with Cuba, um, engagement with Cuba, and, uh, and it seemed a, a real fundamental change in the way politics uh, and policy uh, around Cuba uh, happened in the United States. I mean, for, for, for many years, uh, you, you, to win an election in the United States, you needed to pander to the Cuban-American hardliners in Florida. And Obama seemed to, he, he, he seemed to, to break that, uh, break with that and engaging with Cuba. And it seemed like there was a political calculation behind it. In other words, I'm, I don't need them to win the Florida. And he didn't, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and so uh, because of the changing demographics, uh, it seemed the waning influence of the Cuban-American community in Florida, greater numbers of, of uh, Latin uh, American uh, immigrants from other parts of, of, of the Americas, younger, uh, you know, older Cuban-Americans who are more sort of hardline in their views dying out and younger generations not caring so much and not wanting this embargo to continue. And, uh, and it seemed things had really changed and there was no going back. In fact, um, during, during the Republican primaries to, in late 2015, early 2016, we interviewed Cubans about the Republican candidates and asked them what their, what their thoughts were. And uh, it was really interesting because uh, a lot of them saw Trump, not favorably, they all preferred the Democrat, they all preferred Clinton, uh, but they didn't see Trump as a threat to, to, to Obama's policy. In fact, we have one great clip that, that is in the war in Cuba uh, of a young, young man saying that, uh, that uh, it was irreversible. When we asked him, he thought things could change with a Republican candidate. He said, absolutely not. It's irreversible. We can't go back now. The cat's out of the box. It's, it's over. And, uh, and, but Trump was elected, and, um, and, and things did go back. And not only did they go back to how they were before Obama, it was even worse in some ways. Um, there are some ways in, what, uh, in which Trump's policy towards Cuba was, uh, was, was worse than ever. Um, for example, he implemented Title III of Helms-Burton, which allows for lawsuits in the United States, um, uh, for example, against companies uh, for, for allegedly trafficking in stolen property. So uh, there are Spanish companies, for example, that have joint ventures with the Cuban government, hotels and whatnot, and they can be sued uh, by, let's say, a U.S. citizen who used to be, who's Cuban, who, ha who owned that property in the past and it was nationalized. Uh, and that had never been done before. And that these lawsuits don't seem to be, um, have a lot of potential for, for succeeding. Uh, but they've really uh, been extremely damaging in terms of uh, stopping foreign investment. It's just scared away foreign investors. Um, uh, other things that, uh, and, and then basically Trump just rolled back everything that Obama had done. So uh, all of the tourism that, that from the United States that, that was occurring under Obama, an influx of tourists from the, United, from the U.S., that stopped because they, they made it more difficult for U.S. tourists to go. Uh, the commercial flights continued, but they were scaled way back, uh, so you couldn't, there were no more flights to the provinces, only to Havana. Uh, the cruise ships that, had, that, that were coming to the island uh, stopped completely. 
Um, he put, uh, this is toward the end of the administration, put Cuba back on the state sponsor terrorism list, which is also, it's not just a symbolic thing. It actually has a big impact uh, uh, because there are consequences to that, uh, to dealing with a state sponsor of terror for, for other governments and companies, banks, and so on. So it's just, it's another thing that strengthens the embargo and makes it more difficult for Cuba to have uh, relations, commercial relations with other countries. He, um, uh, they did basically impose an oil blockade, so the Cuba could, had great difficulty in, in obtaining uh, oil from Venezuela, um, and, and as a result, there was an energy crisis um, in Cuba. Uh, they uh, cut cut back remittances. Like right now, if you wanted to send me money, it would be very difficult to arrange that. Uh, you'd literally have to probably come here with cash to be able to get me money because from the U.S. you can't do it. You used to be able to do it through Western Union. That's no longer possible. Um, he carried out a, a, a pretty, um, a, a very strong campaign against Cuba's international medical program. Uh, Cuba has doctors, 30,000 doctors around the world in countries uh, all around the world uh, that, are, that are on missions. Many of them are altruistic and Cuba receives nothing in return, but in some cases Cuba does receive money in return. They use that money to subsidize the healthcare system. And in the case of, for example, Brazil, um, Ecuador, uh, Bolivia, those uh, those doctors were sent home, and Cuba uh, in Bolivia it didn't it didn't matter because Cuba wasn't making any money there. But Brazil, they did receive a fair amount of money, and they used that money again to subsidize healthcare system. So that was gone. So they've sort of attacked the U.S. government has attacked Cuba on all fronts, and even before COVID hit, the situation was very bad. And in fact, in in the war in Cuba, one of the people we interviewed says that things were were getting as bad as they were during the special period in the '90s after the fall of the Soviet Union when you know cuba was in a, in a in a in a major depression and then COVID hit and it was like um it, it whatever trump was unable to do COVID has done so this the, the the economic situation is is very uh dire right now um the sanctions have not lifted and they've only intensified they're under COVID, under trump and and biden has basically it's been the status quo so far and while there's a lot of hope with biden being elected that he would you know reassume um, uh, reassume Obama's policy, having been the vice president under Obama, uh, and, and and having brought in in his administration some 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 people who were very pro engagement and directly involved in engagement. So far, that hasn't happened, and he's given his administration's given every indication uh, that at least in the short term, it's not going to happen. In fact, his special assistant Juan Gonzalez, who's also the um, National Security Council, the, 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 the person in charge of the National Security Council for Latin American policy uh, came out and has said to, um, to the New Yorker and also in CNN publicly that he said that uh, Ob Biden is not Obama when it comes to Cuba policy, that they are not uh, going to invest political capital in the short term. Um, and um, essentially, he's alluding to Florida uh, and, and the fact that there will be a political cost. Uh, for for uh, for for uh, reversing Trump's policies, uh, it will cost them votes in Florida potentially, and they're just it's just not something that they want to do in the short term. Uh, uh, they might do some measures like uh, restore the ability to send remittances, um, and uh, and and try to um, make uh, uh, travel for family members easier. But but outside of that, they're not going to do much. Oh, there's one other thing that Trump did, which is very significant. He closed the basically closed the embassy uh, because of alleged sonic attacks, which, by all accounts, all the evidence we have, were neither sonic nor attacks. There's no evidence of either, 
Um, and uh, based on this idea of these attacks, alleged attacks by Cuba or Russia or, uh, or some enemy of the United States, and again, no evidence of tax, but, uh, but uh, ba based on that, they, they shutter the embassy, which, is base which makes it extremely difficult, if not impossible, for Cubans uh, to, to get a visa, to travel to the United States. If you're a Cuban and you want to get a visa right now, you've got to go to Guyana or Mexico or Colombia, spend thousands of dollars, wait there for, for two weeks while you're, the whole process is taking place. And even then, they reject about 80% of the visas. So for most people, even well-known musicians who have contacts, who are getting inv invitations to travel and so on, they, they can't go. And so that's had a huge impact uh, on, uh, on, on Cuba's economy and, and, and culturally as well, and as far as just exchanges and, and with the United States. Um, and, uh, and, and there isn't any indication Biden's going to change that because Gonzalez also said, and this is really telling, he said when he was asked about this question about restoring consular services, he said, he said, yeah, well, the thing is, you know, um, uh, we can't do that because of a threat to our to our diplomats, because of the microwave attacks or whatever it is they happen, they're calling it these days. He literally said whatever it is they're calling it these days. In other words, he didn't really seem to get much importance of whatever it is they are calling it. Uh, where they, and they are calling it microwave attacks. Now, it's no longer sonic attacks. Now it's microwave attacks, although there really isn't uh, any evidence that of any such weapon, microwave weapon that, that could that could that could uh, inflict the damage that supposedly was caused on these on these diplomats. So there's no really evidence uh, that they were microwaved either. And the most recent uh, study that came out about that from the National Academy of Sciences said that the 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 microwave uh, that that the microwave attacks was the uh, it, it didn't say that the the, the the were microwave attacks. It said that of all of the possibilities we've considered, this seems uh, um, to be uh, um, more likely than the others, but basically still still no evidence and still probably not likely to have occurred. But it still is being used politically as a pretext to not reopen the embassy. And to take that on and to reopen it would be obviously for Biden assuming political costs and it's, and it's one that, that the administration doesn't seem willing to assume. In the meantime, Cubans, uh, the, Cuban, the economy here is just uh, in, in, in dire straits. It's, 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 it's really uh, bad. Um, uh, the Cubans are waiting for hours in line to get food. There are scar increasing scarcities of food, medicine, um, uh, antibiotics, basic things that uh, that even during the sanctions under Trump there were, but now with COVID and and the tight and, and the further tightening of sanctions, it's even harder. I spoke recently with a with an official um, who was telling me that uh, that, that uh, for example banks that they were dealing with. In Europe and Switzerland, they're uh, they're having more and more difficulty dealing with. Uh, they're not accepting their um, um, the the uh, transactions, and that, and that that the embargo is difficult because it's not it's not necessarily that oh the, the the Cuba can't get this medication from the United States and they can only get it from the U.S. Usually, you can get a medication from another country, but let's say Cuba wants to do business with India uh, for a generic drug. Well, then they, they the problem is not doing business and getting the drug from India. But it's sending the money to India because the, the banks there won't accept the money because if they do, they could be uh, um, they could be fined essentially by 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 the U.S. So it's very difficult uh, for Cuba to do business. Everything the cost it, it makes it so that the cost for Cuba for obtaining anything from outside is 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 far higher than it would be otherwise, and uh, and it, and the result is our scarcities here on the ground. Um, so things are, are, are very difficult now, and, and the hope is that the vaccine 
which is is in the final phases right now and is coming. Uh, it will be will be rolled out uh, very soon. Will um, will sort of open the country up to tourism again and and allow the economy to get rolling once again. Well, in the meantime, though, uh, I mean, has the Cuban government done anything to address the um, the sanctions or the embargo and the tightening or the difficult economic situation in Cuba? Um, has the government done anything to address the? In what yeah. sense? Yeah, I mean, what? Well, I mean, I mean, in terms of you know, one of the things it's of course very difficult, but I mean, I, I guess. Uh, trying to replace uh, imports or trying to increase uh, domestic production in some way in order to be less dependent on imports. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, the government is. Uh, well, first, the, the, the Cuban government has been dealing with the embargo for for six decades. So this is an, an intensification of that. Um, obviously, uh, they're, they're, the, the, it's very difficult to identify you know, uh, the, the, whose fault is what? And with this debate on the embargo, with, with, the, with the lack of production in Cuba and, and Cuba's dependence on imports for food, for example, like how much fault does the embargo have? How much fault does the Cuban government have? When you read an article in the New York Times or in a mainstream publication, uh, they will always cite mismanagement of the economy. It's almost like a, I mean, it's almost like a, they've got, They've got those words there, copy and paste, because it's in every article. Cuba's economy is terrible because of mismanagement of the economy, and then because of the embargo. It's those two things. But which is which? Uh, it's difficult to know. It's been and it, it, I, clearly it, 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 I, I, uh, the Cuban government uh, uh, it, it, it couldn't take measures. And, and one of the measures it has been taking in recent years it is opening the economy up or trying to moving in that direction at least. There's a new constitution that was a pass that, that allows for private uh, for, for private companies to be formed, private businesses, um, and that's completely new. They've expanded the list of, of the, what they call cuenta propistas, which are sort of uh, small business owners, um, and, and, and it was more restricted in terms of what activities they could do. That's been expanded. Recently, they've, they've sort of been deregulating the agricultural sector. Um, uh, for there was a law that was passed just just very recently about a regulation ra rather um, about uh, the ability to to uh, to slaughter cattle, for example. Um, so there there are there have been measures of uh, to try to spark more investment. Uh, there's been talk of you know opening up investment more to Cuban Americans, for example. Um, and making things easier uh, for, uh, uh, for, for the private sector in Cuba to grow. So the, the, that seems to be the direction that the government is moving in, in terms of um, trying to deal with, with the, the, the economic situation. Um, I, I, it's sort of the direction, though, that was moving in, even when things were opening up with Obama. So I don't think that's necessarily like... I think some of the, the measures are, are a response to, uh, depending on maybe how fast they move, a response to the embargo and how desperate things are happening. One, the biggest economic measure in, in, in the last year, for example, has been the unification of the currency, which, um, uh, and I'm not an expert in, in economy, uh, uh, but uh, I, I think the basic idea, there were two currencies, and, and, and one, of the, one of the ideas behind it is that there's a lot of state companies that are inefficient and essentially losing money, and that by because uh, 
they're selling goods in one currency and buying them in another, and it, and it, and sort of by eliminating that the um, the dual currency and having a single currency, the idea is that some of these companies will go out of business, and 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 some of that business will be replaced by private the private sector. So those are the type of reforms that are going on. It's 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 at a slow pace, um, and and um, and and it's happening, but it's. It's also very hard uh, in the context of the sanctions plus COVID and the total lack of tourism and, and almost no and very little economic activity. This is not quite the, the, the environment in which uh, new businesses are flourishing or investments coming in. And I mean, everybody's sort of braced trying to, to get through at least until COVID, um, uh, in this COVID situation improves and tourism starts to return and money starts to flow back into the country. I mean, I think last year the numbers were that Cuba had about half of the foreign currency that it that it had, had the year before. I mean, that's that's a pretty major blow. Uh, I mean, it's sort of it's it's on a ma- it's sort of it's 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 incredible the country's still staying afloat, given that it has you know basically half the money it, uh, to work with as far as uh, a foreign currency. All right. Now, I would want to turn to the second challenge, which you already addressed, which is the specifically the pandemic. Um, one of the successes that Cuba can point to is that it has had a very low infection rate. Why has that been the case? Uh, what has Cuba done to minimize the spread of the, uh, the virus? Well, Cuba's healthcare system, which is universal and free, is based on preventative healthcare, preventative community-based healthcare. So that's the underpinnings of the entire healthcare system. And, and so um, I've spoken with uh, U.S. citizens who are graduates of Cuba's Latin American medical school here who are in the U.S. on the front lines fighting against COVID um, in communities in the U.S. And they've told me, like, we were really prepared for this because we know how to deal with limited supplies limit, and we know how to deal with epidemics because that's what they're trained in doing. And they're trained in doing it in a very preventative way. So, uh, so when COVID hit, uh, first of all, there was a mask mandate uh, almost immediately, which I remember talking with people in the U.S. And, and because there was some debate earlier about the masks and whether they were it really worked. And I think I remember talking to to my mom and and her saying, "Well, yeah, but there's you know I'm not so sure the masks maybe don't even help." And Cuba was just it was obligatory from the very beginning. You have to wear masks everywhere. And they were right about that, and uh, and it continues to this day. There's no there's no debate about that. You have to wear a mask. Um, everybody wears a mask. You don't leave the house without it. Um, the, the other thing they do is, um, you know, because of and they're very well equipped to do this because of the community based healthcare and the fact that there's basically a doctor and and a clinic in every neighborhood. There's one just a block from where I live, um, and it's free. And and they know everybody who's in my neighborhood. They know who I am, and they know my health history as long as, as well as all my neighbors. Um, so when COVID hit, they did what they call pesquisaje, which is basically going door to door every day. So every day there was a knock on the door, uh, a doctor, a nurse, um, uh, sometimes uh, dental students, uh, medical students, uh, sort of a whole army of ma- mostly young people going to door to door every single day. How are you feeling? Uh, you know, are, do you, do you, do you, you know, asking, are you washing your hands, answering any questions you might have about pre- uh, prevention and just nipping things in the bud, making sure that no, there are no symptoms and anyone who has symptoms, uh, they uh, immediately they would be attended to. Um, the, uh, but, the, but what I think is really the biggest thing that they did to, to, to keep the numbers low is contact tracing. The contact tracing is really remarkable here. 
Um, if there is a COVID case, they immediately uh, form an emergency team brigade, basically, that, that is done through the local um, health clinic, but that is also coordinated through the, the, high, the, the, other, the larger health authorities, municipal and provincial. And they come and to the neighborhood and they basically survey the whole neighborhood. Anybody who's in contact has been in contact with a person, family members, neighbors, and so on, other people, uh, colleagues at work. Uh, they got in a taxi, they, they tracked down the taxi driver. And, and initially at first, uh, all of those people were going to isolation. Um, and they created isolation centers in schools and public buildings and people would go and and you'd have you'd spend two weeks in isolation center if for not just people who had COVID but also the con the people who had COVID go to hospitals everyone that's automatic um, so there's no question about that and then people contact people who were contacts people who had COVID would go into isolation now the cases have risen quite a bit since December and so they don't, there's not enough facilities for the people who are contacts so but the, if you're a contact you have to stay in your home so you don't leave your house for for uh, approximately you know ten days two weeks. So that's um, that, and, and if you're coming into the country, it's the same deal. Like I just recently came to the U.S., went to the U.S., came back. I had to I isolate for basically eight days. I had the PCR test the day I got arrived. I was I couldn't leave my house for five days. Another PCR test. When like three day, two days later, I came back negative, and then I could leave my house. Uh, so the other thing, though, um, as you mentioned, is Cuba's developing COVID vaccines, and uh, I believe there are five, two of which are in the third and final phase of trials at the moment. Now, if successful, that would make Cuba probably the only developing country to create a COVID vaccine. How did this come about, and uh, what is, uh, as far as you know, Cuba planning to do with these vaccines? Well, um, Cuba's had Cuba has a, a real cutting edge biotech sector, despite you know being a, a country very low resources and and that faces all the challenges of the of the embargo uh, since the early since the nineteen eighties. Uh, Fidel Castro took a great interest in, 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 the, in this possibility and, and they invested a lot of, re, uh, the, the, of, of the few resources that they had uh, into developing uh, um, um, a biotech sector and, and the ability to basically not depend on the United States. I mean, and that is really a response to the embargo because um, Cuba would be in big trouble right now, um, like a lot of other countries are, if it didn't um, produce its own vaccine because it sure isn't getting from the U.S. <laughs> Even if the U.S. wasn't hoarding vaccines, they weren't. Get, they, Cuba would not be getting the vaccine from the United States, and probably not, for, and possibly not from other countries as well. So I think a recognition of a recognition of that of the fact that Cuba had to be sovereign and not be dependent uh, in the area of health. Uh, this this um, that uh, this uh, biotech sector was developed. Um, and in fact, you know, the, the, the principal, um, the vaccine, the one that I probably will have, they came to my house just the other day and knocked on the door and said, and doing a survey again, trying to figure out who's in the neighborhood to, to prepare for the vaccine because it's being rolled out in Havana. Uh, if not right now, in the coming week in my neighborhood, it'll be on May 8th, they'll start to, to, to distribute the vaccine. And, and, and all of Havana, uh, close to 2 million people are going to be vaccinated in, in, in the coming weeks. So um, uh, anyway, the, the vaccine that, that I would be getting is called uh, Soberana, so, which means sovereign. And, and, and the, yeah, the, the, the meaning is, is obvious. It's, it's Cuba is, is very proud of its sovereignty and, and, I, and, and the, its biotech se sector is, is, is a big example of that. I mean, there are, there are all sorts of institutions 
um, that are um, dedicated to to research and development of of, of vaccines and other tech, uh, medicines. Uh, Cuba produces the, the majority of medicines, just basic medicines as well, not vaccines. Again, because it knows it can't depend on it. Although it, that sector is also very affected by the embargo, because uh, often they can't get the basic ingredients they need to, to produce them. So they have the they have the labs, they know how to produce them, they have all the technology, but they don't they can't get a certain uh, uh, the the reagents or the chemicals or whatever it is they need to produce the the, the medications they need. Um, and, and, and in fact, right now, there's a big campaign happening in the United States uh, and around the world to, to, to uh, donate syringes because Cuba has the vaccines. They don't have syringes. There's a scarcity of syringes. Uh, so um, those are the type of the, the challenges Cuba has. It's sort of crazy. You know, you have syringe is sort of this basic thing. It's a common thing that you can't, that you can't get here. And, uh, but yet they have this incredible technology and they, they're, they're producing vaccine, whereas no other country in Latin America is doing so. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, now the, the idea with the vaccine is that um, they're producing enough, not just for Cuba, but for other countries as well. Uh, there are clinical trials going on in Iran. And, and, and so Iran will be uh, will, will also be rolling out the, the Cuban vaccine shortly. And, uh, and, and the, you know, the, the, Cuba's international medical program is basically is, is about South-South cooperation. And, uh, and, 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 I, and I expect that the vaccine will be sort of a part of that in terms of um, uh, they, they've announced that they're going to have 100 million doses by the end of the year. I don't know, you know, the, 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 some of the vaccines, it takes multiple doses to, to, uh, to, to, uh, uh, to complete the cycle. So I don't know exactly how many will be exported and they haven't really now clarified that, but uh, the expectation is that the vaccine will be going uh, to, to different parts around the world. Um, and there are, there are you know, countries and, and people in, diff in different countries in the South around the world that, are, that realize they're not going to be able to get the U.S. vaccine that have been asking for it. In fact, Colombia, which uh, you know, is a very close U.S. ally, uh, there have been increasing calls in Colombia, even among mainstream publications there, uh, calling for the government to, uh, to to try to work with Cuba to get the Cuban vaccine because they know they're not going to get it from the U.S. Okay, well, we've covered a lot, so I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, I was speaking to Reed Lindsay, documentary filmmaker and director of the film series The War on Cuba, which you can get on bellyofthebeastcuba.com. Thanks again, Reed, for having joined me today. Thanks, Greg. And thanks to our viewers and listeners for joining the analysis. Please don't forget to head to our website at theanalysis.news and make a donation so we can continue to provide programming such as this. Mm -hmm.